This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. If you have a Bible close by, you can uh, turn to Acts chapter 16 and put a finger there, and also a Proverbs chapter 3. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mesia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. And then from Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. If you're thinking that uh, part of us uh, got together so that we could dress in matching sort of aquamarine blue, we didn't. It was just pure uh, luck. And, and, and besides, Tyler, you're, you're not really with it, dude. You're not wearing aquamarine blue. I don't know if you noticed, but like all my clothes are blue. Okay. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's a good color. You can slop on blue and it doesn't show as much. My name is Pastor Brad Bergfalk. I'm the uh, very transitional lead pastor here at, at uh, Community Covenant Church. And I'm delighted to be back with you after a couple of weeks of being away. If you were here uh, three weeks ago, you heard me describe our travails, our anticipation, really, that, uh, that, that God was going to open some doors for us to go to India and be involved in a short-term mission trip, uh, distributing... Uh, uh, wheelchairs to people who haven't been mobile their entire lives. And uh, you remember me say perhaps uh, a few weeks ago that uh, we, were, we were hoping that our passports and our, our newly printed visas would meet us in New York, and we had a very small time frame. Well, just to kind of fill you in on a little bit of that uh, story, and some of you have already heard most of this if you... Um, are my friend on Facebook, but uh, my friend on Facebook. Wow, I got friends on Facebook. Uh, uh, so as it turned out, we, we flew from here, you know, at some late night, early morning hour, and the last communication we had with the consulate of India was, uh, Mr. Bergfolk, we'll, we will work very hard to try to get your visas ready for you, but this is very difficult. And I said, oh, please, please. And uh, finally, one of the people I was dealing with, she said, well, uh, I, I, she said, you know, God bless you, and may the force be with you. <laughs> and and I, I said, oh, thank you. And, and may the force be with Raghu, who is the guy who was going to pull all this thing together for, for us. And as it turned out, it did not come together. They, uh, uh, when we got off the plane in New York, um, I had an email, and I actually, I think I had a phone call too, I'm not sure, I can't remember now, from Nora, who said, Reverend Bergfolk, we have your, your, your visa ready to go, but we're sorry, your wife, she is a Canadian. We, we've been having some very difficult times with your wife. And I said, tell me something I don't already know. <laughs> no, I'm not just, I'm just kidding. 
But, so, uh, the long and the short of it is, I, we didn't go. We thought we were going to be serving and suffering for Jesus in, in the southwest coast of India, and instead, we suffered for Jesus on the central coast of Connecticut, and, and, and drove all through New England, visiting friends, and it was really actually a very delightful time. What was really uh, unusual about this is up until the very last minute, we did not know. And when we got to Connecticut, we'd made no plans. We made no alternative plans. We were headed to India. So we got there. We, we had made a phone call before we left to one friend and said, Hey, there's a chance. Can we come and stay at your house tonight, uh, tomorrow night, if we don't make it? Yeah, yeah, sure. be great to have you. And then the entire time, we... The day before we intended to go someplace, driving throughout New England, looking at the leaves, we would call some friend and say, hey, we're in town. We'd tell them the whole story. Can we stay at your house tonight? Oh, yeah, sure. Come on over. So we, so we one day at a time, spent uh, 10 days driving around New England. And, and it took us a couple days to get used to the kind of the peace and quiet of, of New England in the fall. Because we were kind of gearing up for, you know, massive overstimulation of, of people and smells and, you know, you know, if you've ever traveled overseas. So, as I said, we thought we were going to suffer for Jesus and we did in a, in a different sort of way. And that's what happened. So, here's my question I want to start out with today. When was the last time you made plans and they didn't work out the way that you'd hoped? For how many of you were your plans uh, thwarted in the last month? I'd like to see a, a, a raise of hands. How many in the last month have experienced what I've just described to you in some way, shape, or form? You made plans, didn't work out. What about in the last week? Okay, all right, thank you. You're, some of you are honest about this, thank you. And, and what about in the last 24 hours? Yeah, yeah, see, this is, this is not an uncommon experience. And in fact, it's a, it's a pretty common experience for most people, most of the time, in most places. So here's my next question then. What did you do? When, when your plan A didn't turn out, what did you do? Well, your original plans did not come to fruition. What did you do about it? Were, were you paralyzed? By the new reality, were you in denial and grief because what you had hoped for didn't happen and you sat around in your own little pity party? Did you complain that you were never going to use that airline ever again? Uh, did you complain that you were never going to try to travel to India ever again? Did you lose trust in the person who made you a promise that they, for whatever reason, could not fulfill? When I was in junior high... I love to play uh, the game of basketball. In fact, it was, it was the only sport back in the 70s, in my estimation. And I believed that if I practiced hard enough, I would be able to grow up and be like my basketball hero. And his name was Jerry West. Played for the Los Angeles Lakers in the 1970s. I know this dates me, uh, but such as it is. I, in fact, had a, I had a picture of Jerry West on the back of my door in my bedroom so that every night when I went to bed, when the door was closed, 
I could look at I could look at his form as he dribbled in this photograph. So I tried out for the uh, junior high uh, basketball team, and I had been playing uh, club uh, leagues um, all through grade school. I, I went. Uh, my best friend Carl and I played basketball almost every day after school, and I thought pretty sh- that I was pretty confident that I was going to make the team. So, you know, you know, whenever you try out for something, you, you know, if they need 12 players, and I think that was the cut, the cutoff for us, you kind of look around and you go, okay, am I among the 12 best players here? And in, in uh, 13-year-old humility, I, of course, said, yes, I am. And so I, I did my best, and on the last day of the tryouts, the coach said, okay, thank you very much, boys. Um, I will be posting the, the, the 12 players that make the team after practice today. So, of course, everybody rushes into the locker room where he posts the names. And I'm, I'm kind of nonchalant about it because I know I'm among the top 12. I know it. So I kind of walk in there, and the crowd's kind of gathered around here, and, and some boys left with their heads down. And some boys, you know, were jumping up and down going, yes. And I walked up to the list, and I looked, and I started at the top. And I kept going down, and I didn't see my name. And I remember at the time how discouraging that was for me, how, how it changed everything for me as a 13-year-old boy, whose reality at that point was I was going to grow up and be a professional basketball player just like Jerry West. And in a moment, gone. And I, I, I wish I could tell you the rest of the story was I, I tried out the next year and, well, I did try out the next year and made the team, but that I had a very illustrious career as a basketball player and, uh, you know, was drafted for the Seattle Sonic. No, no I, none of that happened. But I do remember, as if it was yesterday, this experience of, of having an expectation that this was going to happen and having the rug pulled out from me. Here's one last question I want to ask. Did you sit around and complain, or did you go to plan B? Whenever, whatever it was that didn't quite work out the way you wanted, did you sit around and grumble and moan and groan and, uh, and whatever you do when it, things don't go your way, or did you go to plan B? When plan A didn't work out, how long did it take you before you made a new plan? How long did it take you before you recognized, okay, this, this, this trail is closed? I love this quote. Uh, it goes like this. It's coming up here. It's, this is on two slides. Life is all about how you handle plan B. Plan A is always my first choice, you know, the one where everything works out to be happily ever after. But more often than not, I find myself dealing with the upside-down, inside-out version where, where nothing goes as it should. It's at this point that the real test of my character comes in. Do I sink or do I swim? Do I, do I wallow in self-pity and play the victim? Or simply shift gears and make the best of the situation? The choice is mine. Life is all about how you handle plan B. You see why I like that? Given what I've just told you? 
Life is all about how you handle plan B. In fact, I think it's safe to say that for most people, most of the time, we live most of our lives in plan B, don't we? If, If we're honest. The company bonus isn't large as it was in the past few years, and we were planning to use that money to surprise our family with a long-awaited vacation, and we had to shift gears and go to plan B. We had planned our entire life to, to go to, to such and such college when we graduate from high school. We've worked really hard to keep our grades up, We've worked uh, to, to have extracurricular activities that will impress the admissions department at, of our college of choice. Our, our SAT scores weren't as high as we hope, but we, we think that they're high enough, they're above that threshold that's going to get us into that college. And when the admission letter got, comes, it, it begins like this. There were many outstanding candidates who applied for this college, and we are sorry to inform you. For many of us, when plan A doesn't work out the way we hoped, we go to plan B. Or or perhaps more accurately, plan B comes to us. Life is all about how we handle plan B. When, When our plans don't turn out, when that conversation with our colleague at work went sideways, When our kids don't live up to our unrealistic expectations, how do we handle it? Do you cut and run? Some people do. Do you play the victim? That's not my fault. It's it's Raghu's fault. Do you make the best of the situation that you have? Let's, let's, uh, for the rest of the time that we have this morning... Take a look at the scripture that was read for us a moment ago. And, and this first passage of scripture that was read for us, um, we discover that the Apostle Paul was no stranger to having to uh, live into plan B. So let's take a look and see what we can extract from this uh, little narrative that, that can tell us how we can navigate through life's detours without getting lost. Along the way, you see, Paul uh, in this text or in his life in general, he had plans. In fact, Paul was a type A personality, um, and he always had a plan A. And, and it made him pretty successful, as it often does with type A personalities. As a Pharisee whose job it was to go around and persecute uh, fledgling uh, communities that, uh, that followed Jesus, he was pretty good at that. And later on in life, when he was converted and he started to work on behalf of the kingdom of God, Paul and his plan A personality was pretty good at planting churches and growing these churches up. And we have most of the New Testament, which is evidence to the success of Paul's uh, abilities. You see in this text, we can see that Paul's plan A was to go to uh, Phrygia and Galatia, which are located in Asia Minor, which is the uh, present-day Turkey. So it's, it's some distance from where Paul was at the time. 
And, and this was a significant trip for Paul uh, because he'd always wanted to go to that area, but he had never been able to for, for whatever reason. So he makes plans. His, his plan A is to go to this place. But look what happens. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit had kept them from preaching the word in Asia Minor. So when plan A didn't happen, we are told that they redirected their focus to the border of Mysia, where they tried to enter the region of Bithynia. But their plans were were thwarted again by the Spirit of God. So they passed by Mysia, and they went to the town of Troas. So Paul and his companions didn't just have to deal with the reality of plan A not working out, but plan B didn't work out for them either, so they actually headed to Troas, which was plan C for Paul. And we didn't read this this morning, but listen to what happened next, the the verse right after we stopped reading this text. During the night... Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And it was on this mission trip to Macedonia that Paul was introduced to a woman named Lydia, who became one of Paul's trusted friends and colleagues as he continued to start and support Christian churches wherever he went. And Lydia became part of that church planting team. So you see what God was doing here? God was prepping Paul to meet Lydia so that he could further the gospel and increase the the boundaries of the kingdom. But little did Paul know. Not once, not twice, but three times Paul's plans were rerouted, if you will, by the Spirit of God. And each time, Paul responded with with the same kind of tenacity that you would expect from a guy like Paul. Now, there's a lesson, I think, in this experience that is important for us to grab a hold of. And and here's the issue that we've we've got to wrestle with this morning. How do we live a plan B life in a plan A world? Or to put it another way, how do do we deal with disappointments, large and small, that come our way and keep uh, keep our head in the game for the sake of God's kingdom? How how do we do that? Well, here are a, a couple principles that Paul's experience teaches us about living a plan B life in a plan A world. Uh, buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. Principle one. God uses a variety of means to narrow our options and manage our best intentions. Let me say that again. God uses a variety of means to narrow our options and manage our best intentions. You see, right from the start, you will notice that that there's never an issue for Paul of his calling, of his ministry, of of his direction that he's ultimately going. When his original plans didn't work out the way he'd hoped, he didn't go back to tent making. He didn't say to himself, well, God must not want me to follow my calling anymore. I'm going to settle down and make some money for my retirement. Paul didn't do that. 
Paul never lost sight of his original calling to preach the gospel and expand the church in the ancient world. A little hiccup along the way for Paul didn't dissuade him from pursuing what he already knew in his heart was what God had called him to do. How many times when our plans don't work out the way we hope, do we just sort of throw up our hands and blame God and say, I'm going to sit this one out. I like what Erica said a couple weeks ago about this. If you weren't here for that sermon, I'd highly recommend that you uh, pick it up on the website. You see, there's no time for us to sit this one out. There's no time for this kind of behavior. There is no need for this kind of thinking. If, if God has given us a vision, a calling, and if the first plan we have to get wherever it is we're trying to go doesn't work out, we don't need to sit around and wait. When plan A doesn't work out, don't whine. Don't complain. Don't grumble. Don't get mad. Don't pout. Don't blame someone else for your problems. Get on with the calling that God has for you. Get on with it. When God narrows our options, when the Holy Spirit says, nope, you are not going there, we have no choice but to move to plan B. Paul did it. Countless people after him have done it. Folks, you and I can do it. Principle one, God uses a variety of means to narrow our options and manage our intentions. Principle two, when we've run out of resources, God has a better chance of getting our attention. It's true, isn't it? Have you ever noticed that as long as we have one more trick up our sleeve, one more chip to call in from a friend, one more idea to bring to our circumstances, then there's no room for God to do what God can do. Because we don't have any need for Him, frankly. I was speaking with somebody recently who said, I don't know how you can be so relaxed not knowing what you will be doing next. And I thought about this comment for a minute, and I said to them, I'm not exactly sure how calm I look on the outside, but I'm not sure I have any choice. And the fact of the matter is, folks, um, when we have run out of resources, when we've run out of options, when we don't know exactly what the next step's going to be, those are the very times when God can step in and can move and can work in our lives. And, and for the life of me, and I've spent a lot of my life trying to avoid this, you know, by, by accumulating resources and having that phone call and, and making these alternative plans. But for the life of me, by doing that, we are really limiting God's opportunity to be at work in our lives. Aren't we? Now, I know that's going to be hard for some of you engineering types, and you're just going to have to deal with it. Sorry. You know who you are. <laughs> when we run out of resources... God has a better chance at getting our attention. Principle three. Just because the details may change doesn't mean that the vision was wrong. 
Paul was not dissuaded from, from doing what he knew God had called him to do just because a, a couple of his scheduled preaching venues canceled on him at the last minute. Paul went on to plan B. Now, this is a hard lesson for us to learn sometimes. It's difficult because we invest so much of our emotional energy in the next thing, the next plan, the next conversation. And when they don't wake up, work out the way we plan, we committed so much of our energy and emotions into a certain outcome, we don't have the stamina to change after that. That's what happens. It's happened to me many times. One of Roxy and my favorite movie, uh, which very few people that when we talk about this movie know anything about, and I'm not sure why, because it's really a quite a, a compelling movie. It's kind of a sci-fi movie called Gattaca. came out, I think, in the 90s. And I think probably what happened is it was released at a time when some other big blockbuster came out and nobody watched it. But long story short, this is a story about two brothers who are trying to get on a spacecraft that's going to go to this new uh, colony where they're going to recreate the human race only with perfect uh, specimens. And so one of the brothers is big and strong and, and, and perfect and handsome in every way. And the other brother isn't. He's got some serious disabilities. He's got some kind of a blood, uh, a blood problem. And as these uh, boys were growing up, they would often test one another's stamina by going down to the local seashore, and they would swim. And, and it would be dark, because they couldn't do this when their parents were around. And, and, they, and they would swim until one of the brothers would be so exhausted that he would, that he would be about to drown. And every time they did this little exercise, it was the weak brother. It was the brother that wasn't perfect, that, that always went farther than the strong, strapping, handsome brother. And the handsome brother later on in the movie says, how did you do that? How were you able to always outswim me? And the weaker brother looked at him and he says, because I don't leave anything for the trip back. I, I give everything that I've got until I've beat you, and I have nothing for the trip back. And I think that that's what principle three is about. Just because the details may change doesn't mean the vision is wrong, and we should give everything that we've got and leave nothing f- for the trip back. If God has given you a vision just because plan A didn't work out, don't give up. And when you find plan B laying in a heap at your feet, don't despair. Don't leave anything for the trip back. And there's a fourth principle that I would like to conclude with this morning. On how to live a plan B life in a plan A world... And this text is not from this Acts passage that we've been looking at, but it's from one of my favorite texts in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. And it goes like this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. In all your ways, remember him. Then he will make your paths smooth and straight. 
the principle here, principle four, perhaps the most, principle, the most important principle all of these that I've mentioned this morning is this. Practice ruthless trust even when your instincts suggest otherwise. Practice ruthless trust even when your instincts suggest otherwise. Now when we hear those two words, ruthless and trust side by side, It startles us, right? Because we're not used to hearing or seeing those two words typically connected with each other. Ruthless literally means to be without sympathy. So we've seen ruthless businessmen brutalize their competition in order order to get an advantage in one way or another. We've seen that. We've heard of ruthless coaches That even though the team is winning by a significant margin, they they ruthlessly continue to run up the score. Some of us have experienced personally ruthless relationships where, where the one that we love treats us without any sympathy. Ruthlessly. The spiritual writer Brennan Manning coined this phrase. This is the phrase that I'm using, ruthless trust. And he says this. He says that his intent that he put these two words together was to describe the character of a trust that we can place in a loving God. We, we don't have to hold back, he says, because God doesn't hold back on us. And then he goes on and says this, and I I didn't have time to get it into a slide, so I'm going to read it to you. He says, The way of ruthless trust is not an abstraction, but a concrete, visible, and formidable reality. It gives definition to our lives. It reveals what is life-giving within us. It shapes the decisions that we make and the words that we speak. It prods our consciousness. It nurtures our spirit. Impacts our interaction with others. It sustains our will to meaning in life. And gives flesh and bone to our way of being in the world. That's what I'm talking about, folks. And this worthless trust means that we don't have to hide our shame and our sadness from God. He knows about that but we can place our our ruthless trust in a God who who understands and who calls out to us even in our frailty and sin and says, please, just trust me ruthlessly. Manning, again, says this, the way of trust is a movement into obscurity into the undefined, into ambiguity, not into some predetermined, clearly delineated plan for the future. The next step discloses itself only out of a discernment of God acting in the desert of the present moment. So how many of you at this very moment in time find yourself living in this sort of desert place? You don't know what the future may hold for you. You don't know whether the company that you work for is going to provide for you um, the way you expected. You don't know whether your 
kids are going to pass on to the next grade. You don't know a lot of things. You, you feel like your life is in the middle of a desert. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to do what Brennan Manning has suggested. And, and not, not try to, to, to fake it until you make it. Not try to, to give people the impression that, that you got your life all together. But rather to in that dark place, in that, in that foggy place, that undelineated future, to just take one next step. If you want to learn to live plan B and navigate the detours of your life without getting lost, then please remember this. God uses a variety of means to get our attention, to narrow our options, and to ultimately lead us to the place where God wants us to be. There's no, there's no point in fighting it, folks. There's no point in whining about it. There's no point in blaming somebody else. There's only the next moment where we decide, like Paul, to go to Troas. When we run out of resources, God has a, has a better chance of getting our attention. It's true. Believe it or not, God doesn't share the same concerns that we have about our stability, uh, about putting a nest egg away for our future, about having all our ducks lined up so in case something goes wrong, we can head it off before it comes. God is a far better chance of getting our attention when we relax and don't try to figure everything out. And just because the details of our plans have changed doesn't mean that the vision that God has given us is wrong. These past few days, as I've been looking out my window across the Eagle River uh, Valley to the southern um, Chugach, I look for the mountains. They're not there because of the fog. But I know that they're there. And I'm confident that if I stand at that window long enough, and it, in the last few days it would be a long time, that, that there's going to be a break in the, in the clouds and the fog, and I am going to see what I have been waiting for the entire time. I will be rewarded by, by a vision that will take my breath away. And it's the same for that vision that God gives us. It's the same as the details of our lives don't really work themselves out in the present, but we know that in the future, God will work out what's important. Finally, practice ruthless trust. Even when your instincts suggest that is the stupidest thing in the world to do. In fact, if your instincts don't suggest that, it's probably not ruthless trust, to be honest with you. You see, this is the heart of the matter. When it comes to living a plan B life in a plan A world, it's all about where we place our trust. We can trust God because God has proven to be faithful to us all along. And it's that faithfulness that invites us once again to receive the Lord's Supper. And as we come to the table today, I want, to, I want to invite you to do so, not because you got all your ducks in, in order, not because you have any idea what's going to happen in your life uh, 
next year or next week or even tomorrow for that matter. I am inviting you to come to this table to begin ever so slightly the practice of ruthless trust in God. Are you ready? Let me ask this honestly. Are you ready to stop manipulating God and stop manipulating others to get what you think is the best for yourself and let God give you what God thinks is best for you? Are you ready to do that? So here, here's the question I want to leave you with this morning. Where is God asking you to practice ruthless trust in your life right now? I don't know where he is asking you, but I know where he's asking me. So as we pray right now, I will be praying like crazy to to uh, to answer that question, even as you uh, pray and perhaps have the courage to, to ask that question of yourself. Let's pray together. It's true, God, that the, that the plans that we make uh, don't always turn out the way we intend. In fact, it's, it's even more true that the plans and the security and the stability that we think we have is all a facade anyway. And so, in this moment, in the moment of this uh, quiet reflection about plan A or plan B or entrusting ourselves to you, we want to do that. Now, some of us have been doing it for a long time, and it doesn't get any easier. In fact, in some ways, it gets harder to, to practice ruthless trust because we kind of figure out how this, this religious game works. And for those of us, God, I pray that you would break through that, that presumptuous religiosity and, and deeply carry us through, through the next step, whatever that may be. And for others of us here today, God, we have never, ever had the courage to take that, that step of ruthless trust. We have never, ever uh, swam and, and didn't leave anything for the trip back. And if that's, and if that's you here today, I pray that uh, as you come forward to receive these elements that we celebrate the Lord's Supper with, that you do so with the recognition that God wants you to do that. God, we offer ourselves to you this day. We don't care whether it's plan A or plan B or plan C. We just want it to be your plan. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray.